Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Dubai Stars. Today my guest is a proper star starting from Dubai and ended up to be in Australia. His life is full of a roller coaster and it ended up in a great success. I am here with Mr. Mustafa Hamawi. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you so much Thank for being much on for the show. We know like we are blessed today and lucky to have you here because it's very hard to catch you in Dubai. Thank you, I'm blessed that so, I could find the time. So as a first question that I ask every guest on the show, how did you come to Dubai and why Dubai? When I graduated uni in 2000, uh, actually my dad got me a job offer uh, in the distributor of Philips in Dubai, I remember. And he left the offer on, on the table back in home in Syria. And when I came, I saw it. I went, I said, thank you, but I don't want to go there. I want to come to Dubai. Dubai back then was not known. I had come to visit an uncle of mine maybe five years before that. So, uh, you know, before 2020. And I just had a feeling that there's something coming. And that's one thing I always feel I've been blessed with is the opportunity to see through rather than see the outside. I, I could feel that there's something brewing. There's a, there was a sense of an opportunity coming. And when I came, it was still too early. 2000, I started my career as a telesales operator. I was getting paid to sell uh, seats into an IT conference. It was for Network Associates, McAfee Antivirus. And I was being paid 25 dirhams an hour. So, and if I'm lucky, I do four to six hours a day and that was it. Uh, it was an amazing time in my life because when you don't have much, you don't have much to worry for. So you really enjoy and live life. Um, and as I progressed with that, I started, had, I had an aspiration. I sat down with somebody and he put a list of t 10 companies and on the front and 10 agencies as marketing and media agencies and advertising agencies. And he says, if you want to make it, you want to work for one of these companies. I kept that piece of paper uh, in a shoebox. Back in the days, we store stuff in a shoebox. A year later, by coincidence, I pull it and I worked for the top agency on top of that as that was Leo Burnett and I used to work for handling the account of uh, Nokia so that was from the telesales operator I took that just as a I'll do what I have to do for now until I get into the multinational it took me about a year I got there and from there th things started kind of rolling I moved from handling PR into you know also events because Nokia was the main sponsor of majority of events back in the days I got exposed into events conferences concerts nightlife everything and I threw a birthday party. I used to have crazy parties back then. And I threw a birthday party uh, and I had about 650 people. The capacity of the place That's was 450. <laughs> that was That's the capacity. Wedding, yeah. The capacity of the place was 450. It was, it was tangerine back in the days, which eventually we also ended up acquiring in the group and turning into a club. But I thought if I could get 650 people into a party, I can do something for myself. So I quit. Uh, I quit after trying to propose the idea to my company to do a social media agency when it was not called social media at that time. I called it chat attack with the at sign. And my director's uh, response was go back to your work. And I'm like, okay, if they don't believe in me, I'm sure I can do it. And went out, went to investors, got some money from them. It was just minimal capital to start the agency. We started getting business and I went from me and three more, four people in 2004. By 2008, we were literally top five agencies in Dubai uh, in the live communication space. I had about 45 employees and millions of dollars turnover. So that's kind of the first stage of my, my life into making it in Dubai. That's big. 
I don't know. Short period. I mean, in a short period, it was it was the boom years of Dubai, and it was definitely a lot of achievement for somebody in his 20s that landed in Dubai and was being paid 25 dirhams an hour, was not even getting a job in a proper multinational, to having my agency. That was a dream. And that being said, sometimes they say, "Be careful what you wish for," because that same story of what I was wishing for started turning into a nightmare for me. My health was deteriorating, it was a lot of partying, it was a lot of work, so it was work hard, play hard. Daytime you're doing events, really exhausting, and nighttime we were doing nightlife events. Modeling agency, clubs, promoting nights, things like that, and that lifestyle took a toll on me, and eventually I just got fed up with all of that and bought a one-way ticket to India. So by then, uh, I, I kind of, we started dismantling the operation after 2008, the business started getting tough with the crisis, 2008-2009. By 2010, uh, the business was no longer viable, we had to shut down, 45 employees meant a lot of salaries also. So that was a lot of liabilities that we had to make sure we keep running and th th there was no hope of how, how long this is going to take. By 2010, we closed the business. I started doing some consulting for the government on major festivals and events like that. By 2012, I decided I just need to seek something bigger. Like you felt all of that success and everything that you have accomplished. Felt very empty. Yeah. Felt very empty. You feel because the trick is when you don't have something, you think that's all you want in life. But the minute you have it, you can start asking yourself, is that really what I want or no? And a lot of times things are more glitz and glamour on the outside, but not as necessarily fulfilling on the inside. And that's the key word that I was missing. I was having everything that has a shine to it, but I was feeling empty on the inside. It wasn't fulfilling. So it wasn't fulfilling. we can say this was the start of you finding your passion? That was the start of me finding out that I didn't have a passion. <laughs> that, was, that was actually the starting point of realizing that, that I did not have a passion. So one way ticket to India, oh, no plans, goodness. nothing. I had a big picture of, okay, I want to go to the mountains, I want to meditate, I want to do yoga, but I didn't have a clear plan. Guide me from there, you landed in India. I bought that one way ticket. Well, th what triggered me to actually do the India trip was getting into meditation in that year. And by 2012, I did uh, Vipassana. Vipassana is 10 days of silent meditation. So I sat in silence for 10 days, 16 hours a day, uh, no writing, no reading, no communications, nothing, no external. You get guided, but you're, you close your eyes and you're by yourself. So basically you're with a group, you're not allowed to talk, even to the teacher. The only questions you ask is about the meditation technique. No philosophy, life, nothing. You just sit and close your eyes and meditate for 16 hours a day for 10 days. And in that moment, I realized I don't know who I am. I was very good at knowing everybody around me, but I did not know the person I see in the mirror every morning. And that made me realize that I have to give myself some time with me, and that led me to buying the one-way ticket. I landed in Delhi, and I remember the friend of mine said, if you like yoga, go to Rishikesh. So in Delhi airport, I said, when is the next plane to Rishikesh? They said, well, it's too late now in the morning. I found myself a hotel close to the airport, not, not very fancy at all, especially for the lifestyle I was living. And then I went to Rishikesh, and one thing led to the next. I found it very commercial, again, didn't really enjoy because it didn't give me what I was looking for. And I kept moving between towns in the Himalayas, so I'd move from one town to the next. And by coincidence, I met a Swami, or a guru, that had been meditating in caves for 13 years. So he'd been in silence by himself for 13 years. He had just come out a few years before I met him. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, like, uh, so I'm assuming, like, being with that person maybe just gave you some... 
Maybe that, that person made me realize it, it, there was a few aha moments there, and the, and one of the moments I was asked talking to him about life. He had a long beard, obviously, so they play with his beard, and I asked him life, purpose, things like that, and he goes, "Hmm, do you know what you are thirsty for? Because if you do not know what you are thirsty for, you cannot quench your thirst." And that was an aha moment for me because I was like, I came looking for an answer, but I did not know what the question was in the first place, which is, I don't know what I'm looking for. I know I'm looking for something. And that's the status of most people out there. We, we know we are missing something, but we don't stop to ask what is actually missing. We just take it for granted that life has to be missing something. So I didn't have an answer back then. I continued my journey. Later on that journey, a few months later, uh, in a different place in India, further south, I discovered I had a medical condition. I was blessed to get an opportunity to work on it naturally. It healed naturally. But I asked myself if this was a cancer, God forbid, or if this was it, or I haven't discovered it, it will end up being a cancer in a few years. If this was it for me and this was the last day of my life, what would I regret? And I started thinking and I'm like, what I was missing is actually truly having a purpose and an impact. That was truly, do you know what you're thirsty for? And the answer for what am I thirsty for came in that moment, not when he asked me, but a few months later where I'm like, if I was gonna die, what I'm thirsty for is knowing that I will leave an impact and a, and a positive change in this world beyond my existence. Because everything I've done before was momentarily and by me gone, it's gone. Uh, so that I knew my thirst, but I didn't know how. I kept on going across India for a few months later, so I started in the Himalayas. I came up further south at the end of India, literally, I went north to south. 2013, I went in 2012, 2013, I bought a one-way ticket back. I'm like, okay, I woke up one day, same day I decided India, I woke up one day, I'm like, okay, I'm done here. I don't know, I, just, I, I get a calling that my time is over here. So when I came back to Dubai, I got invited to deliver a talk uh, at an event, maybe three, 400 people. It was a short talk, TEDx style. And my talk was titled Kavali to Manali. So Kavali was my earlier part in the nightlife and Manali is the town where I met my guru in India. And it's pretty much what I just shared with you, but it was done in about 30 minutes, 20 minutes uh, of a talk. So I was a lot more emotional, sharing the whole details. And a few months later, a random person sees me sitting in Media One Hotel uh, working. He comes to me, he goes, hey, you're that speaker guy. I'm like, yeah. He goes, you did your talk about India. I'm like, yeah. He goes, you changed my life. I was like, that's what I'm thirsty for. So you see, sometimes you don't know. You just, I, I went seeking an answer. I got the question first. Then I got part of the answer, but I didn't know how. And then a few months later, I got that. And I started getting more of those who changed my life every time I do one of these talks. So I I'm decided that this is what I want to do. Uh, and I just quit whatever I was doing back then again, which is event consulting, because I needed to make ends meet when I came back. And it was challenging because I thought I have that story to share and I'm really there and a lot of people think oh I've got something to help and the world is going to be there for you well not many people care I mean there's a few people that say you changed my life but everybody's going on with their business and I'm like oops I bought a one-way ticket again in life by quitting on this but I've got nothing else to work out and and there's something to be said about burning your bridges uh, sometimes because when you do that 
you have to make it work. You don't have an escape option and it's always the last 1%. You do your best at 99% and you come at the last 1% and quit. When you burn your bridges, you're not going to quit and you will make that 1%. Survival mode, that's it. There's no other way. It's a sink or swim situation. It's not fun, but you become tenacious. You become, I'll make it no matter what. And I had decided that I'm not going back. And I had told even the previous client that I was working with, I said, this is the last contract I'll ever take. I'm not working for anybody anymore. I'm going to make it work. And I started speaking through speaking. I started interviewing similar show like this. That was a great idea. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm an MC on stage. I got invited to be MCing. Nobody would give me a chance to be a speaker because people are like, who are you? Uh, and literally my, who's my agent now and my friend and one of my authors back then in a polite way told me we only talk, take global author speakers and you know in a way I'm sorry I can't take you a few months later I was being demanded by the audience on stage so I believed in myself I took a bet on myself I kept fighting for it and I started speaking but then all the uh, speakers I would speak to uh, they would go write a book I mentioned to them the challenges I'm having to go write a book Brian Tracy told me write a book, Franz Trumpenard told me write a book, Tony Buzan told me write a book, Marshall Goldsmith told me write a book. I'm like, listen, the teachers say write a book, write a book. I wasn't that good at writing that book because audiobooks, I love courses, but I hate sitting with a book in my hand. And I'm like, well, the best thing to do is do more of these interviews. I took all of these interviews, converted all of the interviews into uh, an online, uh, uh, not an online, offline program, like a workshop. So what I would coach people. And then through that, I started also learning coaching with Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, become ranked globally as one of the top coaches in the world. And then started doing coaching, started getting speaking, started getting paid highly for speaking. So going from begging to be on stage, literally, like, please give me two minutes. I'll be an MC for free. I'll prove myself. Yeah. Just give me a chance to speak. Yeah. Into right before the pandemic, I was charging $10,000 plus flights and accommodation for one hour on stage. It was a tough journey, but I, I knew I would get there. But what started happening from there is that was after publishing the book, I took that program and I took that workshop and converted it to an online course and then took that online course, transcribed it and turned it into this book to live passionately. And with this book, I started getting a lot more publicity. And this is when my rate started going above a thousand dollars into the ten thousand dollar range and became global and people started reaching out to me and saying Mustafa can you help us with our book first person second person third person I'm like oh actually there is a demand for transformational books because the publishers that are available here don't have that purpose-driven mission where they want to help people spread their message they're all about media buying or about advertising or about just typical publishing magazine publishing this is a specific niche that requires me to be passionate and to have that purpose with everybody that we're getting and next thing I know today luckily we run one of the top publishers for transformational books so so that's how I went from that and had a few loops around my journey so it's sometimes I thought my success was reaching that peak that you mentioned, but that was nothing. It was meant only to prepare me for a huge failure, and that failure was meant for me to transform to the person, but I would have never been that person had I not gone through that downer. So I'd also say le learn to appreciate everything because the bad brings you good in it. And that's exactly how, how I met you because I've been struggling for a year and a half. I have the ideas. I already wrote a few chapters, but just to make the proper structure of a book like I couldn't find anyone who has the service and whoever has written a book he will tell you my advice to you just drop it 
don't go ahead with it. <laughs> don't do the book. It's not gonna give you any good. And then luckily I found you and you explained it to me how easy is the process with you and I'm super happy, super excited. I'm, I'm happy we're, we're having you and excited to help you share your message because that's really what it's about. It's not about, it's not about me as much as about the message of someone saying you changed my life and that's the DNA of what we are about. It's about helping people help people change their lives. So for me, I might not resonate with everybody. I'm not everybody's taste. You know, some people like me, some people don't like me and I'm not here to be liked or disliked. I couldn't care less on either. What I care about is am I serving my purpose? And if that purpose and my message and my style resonates with some people, then those are the, my people. And in that, there are other people that also would need your message because the message you're bringing about, you know, getting into the investments, bring, bringing other means of, of financial freedom, looking into life at a different way. And again, the same story of struggle is different to every person and the experience is different to every person. And that's what makes me excited. When I know I get to work with you and with other people that are doing this to others to help them, that becomes a combined passionpreneur, which is what we are, is a passionpreneur organization collectively spreading that passion and purpose for living. It's a tribe now. And, it's, a, it's a good uh, tribe. This tribe is about to hit the 100. We're about to hit 100, yes. 100 Even during the pandemic, we doubled the business. So, uh, so uh, tell me about the challenges that you've been facing since you started this business. Uh, uh, the challenges, man. Very good question. Well, number one, it's not were the challenges. It's, it's still the challenges because you see, at the end of the day, this is a business. And, and I like to always remind people, in God we believe, but people take cash. Okay, so the reality is, yes, we have a purpose, we have a mission, but I, I don't believe in, in, you know, just going out and, and begging for money. I believe in adding value and with that value, I take the money and we reinvest it back into, into a good cause. And a startup, I face every challenge that every startup faces is, is number one, acquiring clients, number two, operating those clients, you know, so sometimes you get clients, but you can't operate and sometimes you have a great operation, but you can't get clients and it's always that up and down between both. So being able to keep the operation running in a way that we're number one being selective. So day by day, we're getting more and more selective because we want a hand picked selection of passionpreneurs uh, and making sure our finish rate is very high. So. 100% is almost impossible. There's nobody that finishes 100%, but with over 90, 95% completion rate with every author that comes to us, and that's a great number. Uh, so keeping that high while keeping the quality, while we have been consistently raising our prices quarter to quarter since we started, including in the pandemic. So we raise our prices four times a year because we know we're adding value and we're underpriced. So we want to keep raising that price to make the money. And on the back end, we want to be at the same time being able to operate efficiently, build a system, minimize dependency on the people and increase the dependency on the system. So we take the learnings, build a system. So even if people leave, the consistency in the system goes on. And that's a lot of dynamics that need to keep moving together. And that's all still in the short to midterm. While in the long term, we're also building that thought leadership positioning. So we're producing content. I just finished writing my new book, which is about the guided author methodology that we use with the authors to help them write the books so people can buy the book and do it by themselves. So there's a lot of short, mid and long term to be balanced out without losing focus on the purpose. I think that's pretty much the challenge, but it's a fun challenge to have. It gets frustrating a lot of times. It's like any other business. You wake up in the morning and you're like, what, like why? What, how difficult that is? But knowing that I'm on a purpose always replenishes my energy. Yes, I have my downers, but then I wake up and I remember somebody's waiting for help with a change in their life and I'm going to be there for that. 
Mustafa, thank you so much. I know that you have a, a flight to catch. You thank need you. to prepare yourself. But I just want to ask you the last question Please. before we let you go. What have you done and you're still doing that your future you will thank you later on? Wow, uh, what have I done that I'm still doing that my future self will ask me about? Will thank you. Oh, thank me. Sorry, yeah, well, I mean, you are to be asked at the end of your life about what you've done. But yes, th thank me uh, would be practically the fact that I stayed on purpose because there were so many times that I, that I was about to quit. So it gets tough. There are times when, when at the beginning of the journey, especially I went to zero again. I was sleeping on the floor at a friend's place where all my friends are rocking it, financially at least. And you start doubting yourself when you do it, do it. And that's why I said at the 99%, I was about to quit so many times. And it was an email that would have come to me, a random email, unsolicited, of someone who says, I just took your course, I cannot tell you what you've done to me. I've been lost, I've been whatever. Or a random message or a random social media post, and it literally that last 1% Let the fire in you again. just bring that back again. And had I not done that, I would, I would probably regret it. So I know when it's my time to kick the bucket and leave this planet, when I sit with my inner soul, I'd probably definitely be grateful that I didn't quit on my journey. And, and, and things like this, thank you for asking me that question, remind me to stay on purpose. We all, to be human is to err. We're all gonna make errors, we're all gonna fall down, we're all gonna have the downers, but it's always to remind ourselves of our mission and purpose, and these things keep me alive. And thank you for explaining like this much. I feel I wanna write 10 books, not even one Let's book. do it, let's do it. Mustafa, when I started with you, you gave me a publishing guide. I really hope that you don't mind that we can share it with our audience for anyone who feels Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Look, anybody, anybody that that would want to spread their message to the world, I'm happy to help them. So for that, I'll we'll put a link that people can go put their email and download the publishing guide, and you know, hopefully they can also become authors. And that's the that's the point about passionpreneurs. It's not exclusive. I want you to succeed, and I know you want your uh, viewers to succeed. So happy to help with that because I believe, and I would say to the camera, you got a message to share. The world is waiting for your book. Mustafa is the guy for everyone who wishes to write a book to spread his ideas. He can be very helpful with his organization. I'm gonna drop all of the credentials, the Instagram, the, the, the mm -hmm. email address and any way possible that anyone can reach Mustafa. Thank you so much for watching this episode and see you on the next one.